if you start um, increasing the thermal values of your whole house, not just the walls, because energy is, is physics, right? So energy always finds the path of least resistance. So if you do an R20 wall and you update to a 24 wall, then you're creating a slightly higher resistance to heat losses around the walls only. Well, guess what? That energy is just going to go elsewhere. You haven't reduced really. You reduced it a little bit, but it's just going to go elsewhere. And it's not going to go to your attic because you have R40 in there. So it's probably going to go to your room joist in your basement. All right. So the, what we need to do is increase the entire shell a little bit. Welcome back to the Spruce Home Show, your local podcast that talks all things custom home building. Things to be aware of, things to expect, things to take note of. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go. Welcome back to the show. Hope everybody's doing well. Today we're going to get into talking a little bit about... It's going to be about energy efficiency, um, but I'm really going to try and come at it from a from point of like, should we be thinking about building differently? So we're going to have a guest on and, and we're going to talk about that. So I hope everybody had a good weekend. I hope everybody's having a good week. Um, we actually were out in Calgary for the weekend and we are starting the dual citizenship process for our kids, which I, man, I'm super stoked from them. Like... I lived, obviously, uh, Caitlin is from the U.S. I lived there for, for about five years. Um, we have family in both places. I have a brother who lives down there, and he has kids. Um, and just knowing that our kids, uh, instead of them having a, a border around, like, the country they live in, that their border is essentially going to be North America, which means that they're going to be able to, like, go to school wherever they want uh, within North America. They're going to be able to get a job wherever they want within North America. And the process of, of those options and, and having those options open is going to be so much more simple for them. I'm excited for them. I think that's, that's really cool. Um, I also wanted to start by by asking, I guess, asking you guys to share this show. It's something that I haven't asked for for a while. Um, I know that every podcast you listen to kind of hammers that into your head, like share the show, share the show, share the show. But we really do do this to try and help you guys who are thinking of renovating or who are thinking of building a, a new home to help you understand what the process and, and what the expectations should be so that you don't have blinders on going into it. So, so all that we ask is that you, you share the show, you help get it out there. If you know somebody who's, who's renovating or building and, and you listen to an episode that you think be, might be relevant, share it with them, share it on your social media, go give a review on, on iTunes, whatever, whatever you can do to help helps us get word out there. Um, just so that we can help more people because that's that's really why we decided to to start this so um that being said like i like i mentioned we wanted to talk this week about thinking differently about building and to be honest a lot of a lot of this has been driven in my head 
due to to price increases that have happened over the last few years and and how dramatic it really has become and talking to people um, and understanding that like deflating feeling that they have when they understand that what they want to build is is just not within reach for them anymore and and so it's gotten me thinking a lot over the last couple of years and and the fact that Caitlin does live in the states and we, we do go back there quite often it's interesting um, to see the difference in housing and I'm just talking like baseline housing so what baseline expectations are here versus there and and to be quite frank like our baseline, expectations for a house are far exceed what they do down there. I mean, if you look at our kind of baseline housing, everybody expects tile in showers. Everybody at this point, it's starting to become almost expected that you have fiber cement siding. And if, if the budget has to come down to vinyl, it's like this huge disappointment. Um, we're going, we're trending more towards like more expensive vinyl plank flooring. Uh, kind of fr- from laminates and again in that category there's a there's a plethora of different options but there's all of these finishing items beyond just general construction itself that we just have different expectations I you rarely walk into a house anymore with anything but quartz countertops the cabinetry all seems to be custom everybody wants these feature fireplace walls where you, you I walk into the kind of a baseline home down around St. Louis and it's it's just not that they have they have their walls are painted in flat paint so we we have a higher expectation even from a paint standpoint um, they have laminate countertops their their floor plans are are a little bit more basic the roof lines are more subtle um, they do have bigger houses to be honest but the finishings are diff- are just different so that really just got me thinking and and then I kind of went down the rabbit hole of well what if to help affordability what if we start thinking about um, some trade-offs so what if we start thinking hey if if i need to maybe i need to start thinking about the cost of ownership of a home not the upfront cost of a home so if we can use efficiencies in the house to bring down the cost of ownership meaning your utilities are lower on on a monthly basis then then maybe that helps with affordability and and maybe the cost of ownership of a five hundred thousand dollar home if we can bring that down does that mean that we have to make compromises in finishing materials? Yeah, that is what that's going to mean. Um, but when we're thinking about affordability, I think that it's something that we all need to at least ponder on. So that's where this topic really came from. So today we are joined by uh, Emily Karen, who is from Eco Synergy uh, out in Alberta. So. Emily actually helped us with some blower door tests, with some air leakage tests. Um, and is extremely passionate and knowledgeable about this subject. So I wanted to bring her on. Uh, we've went back and forth on emails over the last couple of weeks and and um, brought some examples forward for you guys, which I'll be really frank, were really shocking to me. Um, so we're going to go through those and we're just going to talk through this whole idea. To be really honest, I actually don't really know where this conversation is going to go. I do I have some strong feelings on what I think um, needs to happen in the industry before 
before these types of things are required, before energy efficient things are required, uh, like I think about things like solar. I think that there's certain things in the industry that need to happen first. I think that things need to be happening from a federal level differently than they are now to help get to the get to the point of net zero, which is where the federal government wants to get. And honestly, they want to get really fast. Um, and I think that if they try and go too fast without solving some of these problems first, that um, we're going to have even, we're going to have a bigger challenge for, for affordability. But th that's kind of what I wanted to talk through. I wanted to bring Emily on. She's very knowledgeable. She's going to bring perspective that, to be honest, I just don't have. Um, I'm going to learn some things, and I know that you guys will too. So with all that, Emily, welcome. How are we doing? I'm great. How are good, you? Good, good, good. So yeah, like I said, I thought we would just start by you just introducing yourself, giving maybe like a little bit of background where, where you come from, uh, like what your perspective is on, on the whole energy efficient, high performance industry. And then we can just kind of dive into it from there. Okay. So, uh, yes, I'm, uh, I'm the owner and founder of Eco Synergy. We're, we're a building consultants firm, uh, solely focused on residential construction, uh, we do a little bit of existing homes, but we do a lot of new construction. Uh, we're based out of Alberta, but we do cover Western Canada, Manitoba to BC. Um, a little bit about myself. I, um, well, I'm Francophone. You can probably hear that. <laughs> I'm from Quebec. And I moved to Western Canada in 07. Uh, so I did an architectural technologies degree and graduated in 01. And, uh, and then I moved in 07. And in 2010... I went overseas to Austria to get a master's in building physics and sustainable design. Cool. Uh, so I figured if I'm going to get some education, might as well do it with the best in the world mm -hmm. and then not be expired in five years. So that was <laughs> kind of my train of thought. Uh, so that was a good, um, it was a good uh, academic addition to my, the knowledge I had at the time. Uh, so I was involved in the initial equilibrium net zero energy pilot in 2008 uh, so that was a project that was funded by the federal government. And there was 14, I think, net zero energy houses that were built across Canada. And they were piloting the idea of feasibility. You know, can we make this work? Does it work everywhere? That kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. And so when I opened up Eco Synergy in 2009, uh, that was our niche. That's what I did, mm -hmm. net zero energy. And then in 2016, when the national codes came in and pushing towards 2030 and 50 for net zero energy ready and net zero energy, mm -hmm. um, then we saw an opportunity to grow and um, use our knowledge that we had as an education piece to help mm -hmm. builders and homeowners and renovators uh, get to those targets um, in the most cost efficient way. So as far as I'm concerned, the 2030 targets of uh, net zero energy ready uh, for all new construction. I mean, in my world, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that difficult to get there, mm -hmm. uh, no matter the province. Um, that said, uh, as you pointed out, uh, we have to do it with caution. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I've been talking about for quite some time now. Uh, what we don't want happening is having a whole an entire building stock that is net zero energy, but yet is failing and is not comfortable enough to live in. Mm -hmm. So what's and, like going into yeah. that? What are you, what, when you're saying that we have to kind of go into it with caution, what specifically are you thinking through when, when you make those comments? 
Well, I think we we tend to focus on challenges in a silo. Okay, mm-hmm. so now we're targeting energy conservation. Mm-hmm. And then because we're so focused on it, we tend to forget about the rest, like structure, mm-hmm. like fire, mm-hmm. like um, durability or moisture control. And so we, we, we zone in so much on the one topic yeah. that we tend to forget about the rest. Right. And I find that uh, we can easily see that when we start building uh, high performance in uh, in northern Canada, for example. Sure. Right. So they're net zero or very efficient, but they fail. So I think we, you know, we can't miss that target. We have to make it real, and we have to make it work on the on the construction feasibility side as well. Yeah. So one of the things that <clears throat> I mean I've been really intrigued by over the last I would say two years in particular is the idea just of high performing homes. Um, can you explain what, I, I think that's a new concept for the mass majority of people. Like what, what defines a high performing home or what makes a high performing home different? Or um, can you tell what's a high performing home and what's not just, I thought you would be a good person to go down that rabbit hole and, and kind of talk about what that even means. Well, I uh, actually compare my houses to cars. Yeah, me. That's so how I think. When we talk about <laughs> high-performance cars, yeah. we talk about you know aerodynamics, fuel consumption, comfort, uh, soundproofing, um, speed, handling, mm-hmm. right? All those things, and it's the same thing with a high-performance house, right? It not only has to be energy efficient, but it has to be comfortable. It has to be somewhat soundproof. It has to be waterproof, vapor tight, airtight. The mechanicals have to be efficient. Renewable energy has to be part of it, right? So I feel that there's a big parallel to be made between high-performance cars and high-performance houses. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, the conversation around um, fuel cars to EVs is the exact same conversation from traditional build to net zero energy build. Mm -hmm. It's the same parallel. So if you ask yourself what makes a car high performance, you can ask yourself almost the same questions as for what a high performance house is. Now, depending on, um, you know, how siloed, quote unquote, the different groups are, they may see high performance only on the thermal side. So how much energy it uses. But again, the way I see it is, yes, energy. But we need we can't let go of all the rest. We can't let go of comfort. We can't let go of durability. We can't let go of water infiltration structural like there's a whole bunch of stuff that we can't let go of so performance is is overall not just thermal can you talk about comfort a little bit because i think for me anyway i durability is easy to grasp onto um um, energy use is easy to grasp onto moisture control is easy to grasp onto to me comfort is one of those things is like like what does that even mean because for me personally i've lived in four houses every house um, has been built since the year 2000 with one exception, we fully renovated a house, but we gutted it right to the studs. And so everything inside the home was all brand new. So effectively, although the house was built in 55, it was all brand new just from like 2017. So when, when I hear the word, it's, it's going to be more comfortable, I'll, like honestly, I don't even necessarily know what that. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. That's a very good question because you're right. Most um, I would say most Canadians don't really grasp what that means. Um, so to me, comfort is, I, I almost see it as 
luxury. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when we talk about comfort, you, you always have to be a little aware. So I'll welcome you to do this exercise in your house. Yeah. Um, most houses have one, maybe two rooms that the users never use yeah. for whatever reason. Too hot, too cold, too drafty, too wet, too bright, too dark, right? And in one of those two rooms, if you were to sit down in the middle of the room and close your eyes, and you would actually just internalize what are the discomfort triggers, you would find out why you're never in there. I find animals are a great, great um, example of following comfort. Because if you can follow your cat around the house, you will see at what time of day the most comfortable spot in the house. They follow the sun movement, right? They Mm -hmm. want that nice, dry radiation heat. Um, So to me, comfort is, it's it's around biological triggers that we don't get. So for example, if just biologically speaking, I don't get the trigger to not go in a certain room, that's comfortable. If I'm using my entire real estate, that's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't have to change my behavior to meet a certain level of comfort. So we've seen a lot of houses that they put aluminum foil in their windows <laughs> because it's too hot yeah. or too bright. Yeah. Well, that's a discomfort. Yeah. The, tra- the challenge is humans adapt very, very fast to something that doesn't work their way. Mm-hmm. So we have to be aware that we we are just a result of our interaction with our environment. So if I choose to put foil in my windows, usually it's because it's too hot or too glary, but there's probably other aspects that I'm just not cluing in. And so I'm blocking off that window so I can use that room. Yeah. So to well, me, that's what comfort is, is getting rid of those, those adaptations yeah. that we just do to reach what we want to have. Well, and I think if you if you frame it in that way, uh, you can think about people here in in well anywhere in Canada really. But um, you think about basements; the basements are always cold. Um, so, like to your point, what do people do? They they either take down space heaters or they watch TV under blankets because it's cold, or they just don't use it. Like kids don't want to go down because it's to play because it's cold, yada yada yada. And now you're not getting the full. Uh, you can bring it back to ROI. You're not getting the full return on, on your house because you're actually not using a, a part of your house because it's, right. it's uncomfortable. So yeah, no, that's a good point. I never thought about it that way. So, um, Cade, let's chat about the, maybe the challenges. So uh, I will divulge a little bit about what you and I went back and forth and then we can expand on it and you can tell me why, uh, I did it wrong. <laughs> so, or I think about it wrong. So one of the things that I asked Emily before, before we did this is to, I came up with a couple examples that we get asked a, a couple upgrades that we get asked, um, pretty regularly for, from an energy standpoint. So the, a lot of them are, um, upgrades to, to R24 insulation from R20 in, in your walls. Another one is adding exterior insulation on the outside of your house. Um, and another newer one, and this is something that honestly I've been spearheading more than anything is aero barrier, um, treatments. Is that what you'd call them? Um, uh, effectively for, for anybody who doesn't know what it is, it's, it's, um, basically something an application you can do in your house to make it uh, extremely airtight. So, which helps with efficiency. So from a overarching uh, viewpoint, and I'll just, the, the energy savings were very low. 
um, and the return on investments were basically zero. We'll just call it that. So I guess I want to talk about, cause that, that's where my brain went to is like, okay, if we're talking about affordability, can we make the home more efficient so that it costs less, um, on an, on a monthly or an annual basis to offset some of those upfront costs so that over a 20 year period, your house actually costs less if you built it today than if you buy a house that was built in whatever, 2001. Um, and based on what you and I went back and forth so far, the answer is no, but you made the point that like, you can't just look in a silo. Um, you have to look at the entire system, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So let's just dive in, into that. Cause, cause I think honestly, that's, that's one of the biggest hurdles to me is that, and I don't care if it's solar, I don't care if it's energy efficiency, I don't like high performance mechanical. I don't really care what it is. I think the challenge of changing the industry as a whole is that it won't have mass uptick until it's at least cost neutral. Um, yeah. And I, so I think that's the challenge and, and I can use an example for me personally, we, we looked at putting solar on our house when we built it, um, in 2019. And to me, the payback period just wasn't fast enough. Um, but the interesting thing is now that EVs are starting to become more and more in the mix. And I do, um, I mean, I believe that, I mean, they're here, but I believe that they're going to be, I actually saw F1 uh, 50 lightning, lightning in Saskatoon. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about Saskatoon here. So it'd be no different than Calgary, just on a smaller scale, uh, from a demographic standpoint. So, I mean, it's, it's coming, but when, now when I start doing the math, um, as though I had two EV vehicles instead of two, um, gas vehicles, now the math becomes, uh, way more intriguing. And so for me personally, it's like, okay, well now once the economics become more intriguing, now I'm willing to do it. And if that, aids in the entire conversation that's where i think uh like this whole conversation has to has to get to and i don't mean between you and i, I just mean like as an industry is like hey how can we how can we get to a more cost neutral or at least close so that it's not as difficult as a sell um to somebody who's building a $450,000 house or a $550,000 house it, maybe it's easier to sell somebody who's building a million dollar house but those those extra costs for somebody who's building um we'll call it like your medium house i have found anyways is just more challenging so anyway that's kind of how i've thought about it but i'll let you chime in so um a couple things um just so you know when we help design full net zero energy houses, including the renewable energy system and the solar, like all of it, the mm -hmm. electrifying in the prairies with a solar array, um, usually we can get that done within four to seven percent on the cost of sell of the house and around 15 ballpark, 15 percent on the cost of build. So so do you so, mean that, that basically they're losing 10 percent? Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean? No, on either five, on the five to seven, do you mean that's adding five to seven percent of value? No, on the price of the of the house itself. So if oh, I yeah, would I take the, the typical build and I wanted to build it net zero, most times those are the kind of numbers we're working with right now. Yeah, okay. So to put that in perspective, when I was designing a laneway house, mm -hmm. the house was valued, we were gonna pay, I think it was five hundred and forty-five thousand for it. Type, mm -hmm. And it's not a big house, it was a laneway, sixteen hundred above, above grade. 
And um, on that 545, um, we had $150,000 that was, you know, finishing the basement, putting Hardy on the exterior, layout, finishings. Mm -hmm. And to make that house net zero energy was going to cost me 50000 Yeah. So I think we have to put that in perspective. It's not mm -hmm. a lot of money overall when you think about it. Mm -hmm. Now, to tap into your ROI. So the thing about an ROI is you're talking about a, a cost versus um, a unit of energy usage. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we can't control cost unless you generate your own. Mm -hmm. So on those houses, if you're not generating your own, then you're still at the mercy of the utility sector. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk in unit of energy because ultimately that's where we want to go. And that's what we can control or mm -hmm. more or less control. So on a utility bill, you have a heating piece, you have a hot water piece, you have a cooling piece, and you have all your appliance piece. Okay, so... If you ask me, well, what's the ROI on a house if I do 20 to 24 back? Well, it's very marginal because you haven't done anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So the key thing here is when when you want to make upgrades on the energy side of your house, you're targeting in the prairies natural gas, not electricity. Right. Yeah. So heating hot water is provided for the most part with natural gas mm -hmm. and then appliances and cooling are provided by electricity. And because the price of utilities of natural gas is still quite low, even at $5 a gigajoule, yeah. it's still quite low. Um, the ROI, quote unquote, isn't great. Mm -hmm. That said, if you start um, increasing the thermal values of your whole house, not just the walls, because energy is, is physics, right? So energy always finds the path of least resistance. So if you do an R20 wall and you update to a 24 wall, then you're creating a slightly higher resistance to heat losses around the walls only. Mm -hmm. fine well, guess what? Yeah. That energy is just going to go elsewhere. Yeah. You haven't reduced really. You reduced it a little bit, but it's just going to go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to go to your attic because you have R40 in there. So it's probably going to go to your rim joist in your basement. Mm -hmm. All right. So the what we need to do is increase the entire shell a little bit, mm -hmm. right? So if you have R20 in your walls upstairs, then maybe do 20 in your basement instead, for example, mm -hmm. and forget the 24 upstairs. Because now you're, you're, you're leveling out the, the energy losses through the whole walls, the basement and the upstairs. Yeah. And then you can bring the slab. So don't necessarily go 20 in the slab if you don't want to, but add a little bit, do R10. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden there's nowhere for the, the heat to move. Yeah. Now you're actually really reducing. Yeah. Right. And then you want to tackle that hot water piece. Right. So now you could go with an air, a hot water heat pump, for example, yeah. electric, but air source hot water, mm -hmm. for example. Now you're drastically dropping that amount of hot water usage, not because you're using less water, but because the system you're putting in is more efficient. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, now you're also changing the energy losses, right? So if you insulate more, now your your heat losses are going to go elsewhere. They're going to go through air leakage. So now you got to drop that air leakage a little <laughs> bit. So if you do a little bit of air, air tightness, a little bit of insulation, and a little bit on the mechanicals, you're going to see a much better drop in energy usage. But if you only focus on the exterior walls, I don't care how much you're putting in there. 
you're just going to move where your heat loss go. So that's so, why it's not a yes or no answer. It's, it's a whole system answer. So tell me, this is where <laughs> I thought about this pretty significantly for one client and ended up not doing it for a variety of reasons, but what's your, um, what's your thought process or your view in the prairies here of getting, of building a house. And this would make more sense, I think on an acreage, but, um, maybe you can tell, maybe I'm wrong. Um, getting off of natural gas completely. Well, I mean, uh, there's two, there's two conversations that happen, uh, with that. Um, the net zero energy conversation, um, I mean, in, in different provinces, there's different rules around how much renewable energy you can install and if you can keep or not mm -hmm. your, your natural gas line to get there. Mm -hmm. My understanding is Saskatchewan, um, they allow for a solar array that will actually offset the energy use from natural gas. Mm -hmm. So you could be a net zero energy house in Saskatchewan and still keep your gas line. Mm -hmm. Okay. In Alberta, there's different rules at the provincial level that don't allow for that just yet. We're not allowed to install a solar array that is larger than our electrical consumption. So yeah. if I keep my gas line, I can't be net zero energy right now. Yeah. Right. Um, now there's challenges around that because in the realm of efficiency, natural gas, gas efficiency is like at 98%. Mm -hmm. Okay, So I'm going to bring this down in layman so we have a comparison, okay? It's not quite right, but it'll give you a ballpark. Yep. When you get into electricity, just grid electricity is 100% elect uh, efficient, right? So whatever input of energy you put in is the amount of energy you put out for heating, for example. But when you get into heat pumps, now those ratios change. Meaning that in winter, for example, you could have one input of electricity to heat your house. And then when the heat pump, once it's gone through the heat pump, you could have three inputs of energy to heat your house. Mm. So now what that does is you're dropping your energy uh, requirements, not because your house is better, quote unquote, but because you're using the energy that's coming in more efficiently. Mm hmm. Okay, and that's also part of the conversation. So if you want to go full electric, I, I think going full electric is 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 nice. Now I've done this to my house and I really like the idea of not having to worry that at minus 40, my friend is going to go kaput. Yeah. Right. To now honestly, for it. me, a lot of it living in Saskatchewan is we have all crown corpse. And, and for me, it's, I mean, I'll, I'm exposing myself a little bit is like just distrust over time. And the, and the idea of having like pure independence of like, no, I have my energy. I don't like need anything. But now that, that requires, as far as I understand, you're going to need like battery, battery technology to do that. No, you still, you still have to be attached to the grid. Otherwise you can just go back. And you know, uh, I don't know that you have to, I don't know. That's also like local bylaws. Yeah. yeah. That said, uh, so we're grid tie and most of the net zero projects we've worked on are also tied to the grid. But we run full electric, so we don't have gas anymore. Mm -hmm. And every month I'm still saving money every month because, well, I'm on a ground source heat pump. Others are on air source with secondary heating, right? So their utility bills in winter could be a little higher. But the thing about solar is that every province in the country has a feed in tariff program meaning mm -hmm. that you sell the excess electricity in the summer at mm -hmm. a higher rate than what you're buying it back in mm -hmm. winter conditions. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what that means is that 
if you generate enough energy, which Saskatchewan and Alberta are the two leaders in Canada as far as sun, yep. no matter the time of year, it's sunny <laughs> you know, here. A lot. It's cold, but it's sunny. And you could generate through April to October your your full electrical demand for the winter months ahead of time. So they roll over credits. And then, I don't know, depending on the provinces, they either cut you a check at the end of the year or they keep on rolling them. And when you close your account, they, they even things out. I don't know. It depends on yeah, each province. From, from what I believe, and I guess don't quote me on this, but from what I believe here in Saskatchewan, you'd never get a check. It just it just offsets it so you effectively don't have a bill. Um, so which, so which is like, which is like, here, right? they, people don't oversize their solar arrays either because there's no reason for it. Otherwise, you're just spending money to give to SAS power. But I, you know what? I would kind of disagree to that. Okay. Because the more you can generate in the summer, the bigger your credit rolled over. So in winter, your your months are prepaid. Yeah, that, but that, that's what I mean. They look at it from an annual usage, and then they say like, how big does the array need to be to just make your annual bill zero dollars? Because yep. if it if you're um, if you if you upsize it and now you're now you have a credit every year, you never get that credit anyway. From what I understand, again, I can but, but depending on it, so on a house, yes, that's how it works. But if you go on an acreage, they can actually uh, generate more. So there's different levels mm -hmm. of generation that are available, and then you can there's microgen, there's full like utility scale, like there's different levels that uh, depending on the property you could tap into. Oh yeah, yeah. But that said, if you break even on yearly on a yearly basis and you have zero utilities other than the electrical admin fee, right? So and and here, so that's part of your ROI. It's not a direct correlation to how much did I put up and how much am I gonna? Because you're you're generating, and just to push that so push that a little further, you know. I don't know that there's anything else in a house that gives you an ROI. <laughs> Man, okay, this is the one the re, the a reality true ROI like... that you make money. It's a return every month or almost every month. Nothing in a house does that. Yeah, until you sell it and you hope that things have inflated. But again, you're relying on, yeah, you're relying on monetary policy, to be honest, for the most part. So Yeah, and if you're smart about it, so we even sell our carbon offsets. So every year I get like a $300 check at the end of the year for nothing. Yeah. Because the the, the fossil sector buys my carbon. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. So there's a few perks, but to me, it's not even an, an ROI conversation. It's a resiliency mm. because now I am not at the mercy of the utility sector. Yeah. Yeah. I have locked in my utility rate for the next 30 years. Yeah. Which is, comes back to my comment about independence and especially here in Saskatchewan being to the mercy of crown corpse. Uh, I mean, I can tell you that, yeah, there's, there is uh, a large portion I've, a large portion of people's bills now is carbon tax. So do you get, a, you get away from that then is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. If yeah. you electrify and you generate. Yeah. yeah. If you just electrify, then in theory, your elect, your carbon tax will go up. Got it. Because in the prairies, the, the electricity is generated through fossil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It's not renewable. It's not hydro. Right. So really, you're saving on the admin fees of your gas bill that you don't have anymore. And because you're generating, 
you're also reducing your admin fees on the electrical and you're not getting hit by the carbon tax. Right. So there are savings that are outside the energy load of the house. That you'll yeah. see. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So I know that you're running shy on time a little bit here. Um, so I guess maybe, why don't we, I think for most people, because it is for me a lot of times too, it seems like really overbearing. It's like, it can almost just like freeze you. You're like, all right, well, like, what do I do? So do you want to just walk through how you guys help builders, how you help homeowners, like make these decisions on what it does make sense to you upgrade these things or, or things that you do go. I know you talked about just doing a little bit of multiple different pieces of the house, how you, how you help people make sound decisions, decisions. so that they can maybe put that a hundred, maybe they put that 50,000 in and, and it does make sense and, and how you can actually show people like, if you do this, this is the return, or this is you're adding more durability, yada, yada, yada. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, um, so for our group, we, like, we are kind of a well-rounded, uh, entity. We don't just do the modeling. We do the full consultancy as well. But usually what we do is we ask to get involved at, at the design stage. Mm -hmm. So once the preliminary drawings put together, then the builder sends it our way or the client sends it our way. And then we just kind of do a quick redlining of, okay, think about this, move this here, recommendation on how they could just uh, make that transition more cost effective just by design. Yep. Doing things at the design stage is always cheaper than reacting after the fact. <laughs> yeah. So you spend a little bit more time and, and you put a little bit more thought in the design. Then once we have a more concrete, um, you know, design or look of the house, then we simulate it. So we run the whole house in a simulation software. We make like guesstimated assumptions that make sense. And then we figure out the trade-off. We run scenarios, we know the budget of the client or the homeowner or the builder, and then we say, okay, well, this seems to be your sweet spot. Yep. And then after that, we we work with the builder to figure out how we're going to reach those targets, whether it's an R value or, right? And usually that's pretty straightforward. And then they go through the build. Uh, I think it's always good to verify. The only unknown at that point is the early leakage rate of the house. We estimate it. Yeah. But we go to site at, you know, mid-construction is better. Pre-occupancy, you want to verify everything. You test the house. And then you can really make sure that your, your heating system are sized properly, not oversized. And then you're getting what you want. Yeah. Because once you dive into the simulation data, you can actually see how the house will behave internally before you build it. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, I mean, from <clears throat> from what I'm hearing... To me, I think it's important for people to understand to not get locked into, I mean, it's any, it's like anything else in the world right now. Like don't read headlines um, and don't get locked into, oh, I need, I, like my dad said that I need to put, Let the upgrade talk. my, my insulation in my walls or my, my, whatever. My old house was, had water problems and attic frost. So I want to put more insulation in the attic. Like don't get stuck yep. on these things. Just allow right. the process to work. Um because the, the software that's used, like Emily said that they make some assumptions, but they make a lot of very, very accurate assumptions. And there are a lot of factual uh, data that they use in it also. Like a lot of people won't know this, but it's where the house is sitting. Um, uh, which direction is it looking? How much sunlight is it getting throughout the year? 
Um, how much solar gain is it getting? So how does that help from a efficiency standpoint? Like there's those things that are concrete and, and they know uh, based on historical data that it's, I'm sure you do make a lot of um, kind of guesstimated assumptions, but there's a lot of factual things go into it also. So. Well, at the end, when we're ready to submit for building permit, the only assumption still made is the air leakage. We have oh, all the yeah. rest of the house. We have the shell, we have the windows, we have the mechanicals, we have the efficiency of mechanicals. Yeah. Like it's down to a T at that point. It's very, it's very cool. It's very cool. So, um, is there anything else you want to, you want to add to the, I know this is a very broad conversation, but I think it's good for people to at least glean into. No, I think in a nutshell, um, whether or not the client is going full net zero energy or not, um, with nowadays with all the shortages and, and the material costs and like simulations uh, have never been so insightful mm -hmm. because if one way doesn't work with the simulation, we can find another way to get you to the same point. Yeah, It's like you have a full building trade-off at your fingertips. Yeah. So if you find out that whatever, you know, hot water tank or whatever stove you can't get because it's eight months down the road and it's, uh, it's um, backlogged, then we can find another way to get you to where you want to go. And it could be just, you know, a good house, comfortable, not necessarily net zero, but durable house. And, and we can help with that too. So mm -hmm. I, I like the idea of going in with an open mind and letting the numbers talk because the numbers will help determine what mechanical systems you want to use, what makes sense to use for, for the amount of energy that you'll need. So I don't think that going in with a bias is necessarily, um, not that it's a bad thing, but it might cost you more. And some people come in as I want that. That's fine. But now they're willing to pay that extra. And that's not accounted for in the extra cost, quote unquote, of going to high performance. Yep. That's a choice that the client made. Absolutely. So, and that's okay. But, you know, they, we have to be, um, you know, at least uh, understanding that there's some choices that cost money. And they're not necessarily justified choices. They're just a want. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I think this is super helpful. Um, like I said, I think people will definitely take value from it. We are running out of time and I know you need to run. So I, I appreciate you joining. I appreciate you coming on. Um, and maybe we'll do, maybe we'll do something on like our social feeds or something in, in the near future, kind of showing some of this stuff instead of just doing it on audio as well. So um that being said i appreciate it well you thank you for having me i mean anytime okay guys that'll have it um like i said a few times during during the episode here i think that there's a ton of nuggets to take away hopefully it was eye-opening uh, i know that the entire <clears throat> housing performance conversation can seem overwhelming but a lot of it when it gets down to the nitty-gritty is just Honestly, you having a general understanding of what you're trying to accomplish and then just leaving it to leaving it to us, leave it to the builder, leave it to uh, the the energy professionals and the performance professionals to, to do all of the legwork um, kind of behind the scenes so that you can get a product that you're looking for, whether it is net zero, whether it's just a uh, making the right decisions, making the right trade-offs uh, for what you're looking for, whether it is to develop a high-performing home, whatever the end goal is, 
let, like Emily said, let the numbers talk. Don't come in with a biased opinion on what you want your assemblies to look like. Come in with a biased opinion of what you want to accomplish and let us tackle the rest and let us tackle the how. So hope this helps. Like I said at the beginning, I'd really appreciate it for if, if, if you know somebody who's uh, this, this applies to renovating too, guys. So if you know somebody who's renovating, whether you know somebody who's building, if you're doing one of those two things, um, share the show with, with somebody that you think it could help. Uh, that being said, I appreciate it. And I will catch you guys on the next one. Toodaloo. Thank you.